in the middle of a wood, in the deepest, darkest part of the wood, there was a pool. A pool which never reflected any light, because dwelling in this pool, in the deepest, darkest part, there was a creature. A creature that had once had a name, but it was forgotten. A, a creature that had once had a form, but it was lost. In fact, very few parts of this creature still remained. What did remain, though, was its anger, its vanity, and its hunger. Sometimes the hunger of the creature, it would grow so great that it would rise up out of the dark pool, take physical form, and look for something or someone to sate itself upon. Living not far from this wood, there was a man. A man who had seven sons and one daughter. One by one his sons they went off into the world to make their way, but his daughter, who was called Polly, she chose to stay behind. She would be the one to look after her father, to care for him in his old age. But when the seventh son was preparing to leave, he was worried. There were whispers, half-forgotten rumours of something, something, something dangerous. So he decided he would give his sister something that would protect her. He gave her a bird. Now this bird, it was nothing to look at. It was a small, brown, sparrowy thing. But when this bird sang, it sang a song so pure, so sweet, that no harm could come to the listener. Polly kept this bird in her room. It watched over her while she slept. But one night, when the moon was but a sliver, the creature in the dark pool awoke. It rose up through the dark waters and it started to walk through the woods and as it walked it tried out many forms. It became a goat, a horse, but at last it settled on the form of a man. The man-shaped thing, it stood at the edge of the wood, looked out to where it could see a light and it began to sing. Rise up, rise up, my pretty Polly. Come and go with me, I'll take you to the other lands, there we will married be. Polly in her sleep began to rise up, her feet were almost touching the ground, when the bird awoke and sang, and the creature again was banished. But the next night, it rose again through the dark water. It walked through the wood, shaped like a man. It stood just a little bit closer this time and sang out. Rise up, rise up, my pretty Polly. Come and go with me. Polly again began to rise. Her feet were on the ground. Her hand was almost on the door. When again the bird woke and sang and once more the creature was banished. Polly... She found she was standing in the middle of her room with, with no memory of getting up. But Polly wasn't the only one having strange nights. Her father, too. He was having dreams. Dreams that would make him wake up drenched in sweat. His heart would be pounding, but he could never remember what the dream had been about. Polly, worried about her father, decided that the bird should sleep in his room, should watch over him, should keep him safe. But that meant on the third night, there was nothing to protect her. 
when again the creature rose through the dark water, walked in the shape of a man and stood this time directly below her window. Rise up, rise up, my pretty Polly. Polly rose, walked out of her father's house in her sleep and, and by the time she'd awoken, she found she was walking in the wood. And her hand, her hand was being held by the most beautiful man she had ever seen. He was singing to her. And she felt that as long as he kept singing to her, she would go wherever he led. But the ground beneath her feet, it was, it, it was cold. And it was damp. And, and she wanted to stop. She wanted to go back and get her shoes. But she found she couldn't. She found that her limbs, they, they no longer obeyed her. She found that as the song was still sung, it seemed like, like her body did not belong to her. And she was being led deeper and deeper into the woods. Around her, the trees, they were growing closer. Above her head, the leaves seemed to be gathering, as if they were trying to block out the sky, as if whatever was about to happen was too terrible for the moon to see. And the man-shaped thing, it led her to the edge of the pool, and the song, it changed. It was no longer sweet. Alas, alas, my pretty Polly, that you did come with me. For six kings' daughters he have drowned. You the seventh shall be. Polly, she did not want to die. Every old song, every old story seemed to run through her brain and then her mouth of its own accord. It called out, You shirt! Uh, you're wearing a, a, a really gorgeous shirt. Um, it's, it's silk, isn't it? Uh, silk, it gets stained by water. And really, it is such a, such a fabulous shirt that I know my soul. It could, it could never rest easy if it knew that such a, such a wonderful garment had been destroyed in my murder. Please, before you kill me, will you take off your shirt? And the creature paused. It was indeed a, a very fine shirt it had made for itself. It, it would be a shame to spoil it, killing a mortal. <laughs> So it agreed it would remove the garment. And it began to pull the cloth up over its head. But when the fabric covered its mouth for one split second, the song was muffled and Polly shared control of her own limbs with all of her might. She pushed the creature and watched it sink down below the dark water, not even leaving a ripple behind. Polly, she ran back to her father's house. She took the bird in its cage and she sat up with it all night. And when the sun rose, she knew what she had to do. Polly took the bird in its cage and she got a wheelbarrow. She went all through the town and she gathered every scrap of iron she could lay her hands on. It didn't matter what it was, old pokers, broken horseshoes, kettles. It did not matter as long as it was iron. For the fairy creatures, they hate the touch of iron. It robs them of their magic. When at last her wheelbarrow was full, Polly took it and the bird in its cage deep into the woods and she began to fling the iron down into the water, knowing it would pin the creature in place below. When the last piece of iron was gone, she took the bird in its cage, she opened it. The bird flew out and sang. And when the bird sang, oh, it felt like the entire wood breathed a sigh. The trees, they relaxed. They let the sunlight fall into that place for the first time in so long. And Polly went home. She didn't tell anyone about what had happened to her. She couldn't. Not for a long time. 
Not until, in fact, she was an old woman. Until she could feel the shadow of death creeping closer to her, because then, well, by then she knew she had to tell her story. Had to tell it and make certain it got passed on, because birds die. Iron. It rusts. But monsters. Well, monsters find a way to persist. One day that bird would no longer sing in that wood. One day the last piece of iron holding the creature down would, would flake away and it would be free. And if Polly did not tell her story, did not make certain, it got passed on. Well, what would happen to the next girl? And to the next. And to the next. Stories, they're powerful things. And every story has something in it. You, you can call it a grain of truth, if you like. You can call it an ounce of magic. But it's something, something very precious. And it's something that's only kept alive while we keep telling stories. I found this story in a book of folk songs. It was called Lady Isabel and the Elven Knight. Under that title, there are a myriad of versions. Sometimes it's uh, an elfin knight, sometimes it's a monstrous creature, sometimes it's a man. But the grain of the story stays the same. This story came to England and Ireland by a roundabout route. It seems to have travelled all over Europe. One of the oldest written versions seems to be a 13th century Dutch ballad called Hare Helwyn. But the story could have older roots than even that. When the story has travelled to new places and new times, it's changed. It's become Bluebeard. It's become the story of Pretty Polly and the Bird. Stories, they change when they're told. And that is something as precious as the grain of truth in the story, the fact that it will change. They need to change. They need to change because their magic needs to change. What we need from the stories needs to change. What I find from that story, what I hope you find in my telling, is probably very different to the 13th century ballad. But that doesn't mean it's any less valid. That's another of the gifts stories give us. They're malleable. They can be adapted. We can adapt them. We can use their power. We can use it for good. We can use it for ill. But it's probably one of the greatest powers that we humans have. I hope you've enjoyed this mini-episode. We'll be back to our regular, more discussion-based episodes soon. And I hope that you are telling stories. <laughs>